0: I'm your co-host Dolph.
1: I'm your co-host Aaron. Hi Max.
0: And today is a special bonus episode we've got for you uh, with a special guest.
2: Yes, so um, today we are, this is a bonus episode where we're going to take a look at some of the, as we often do, some of the broader themes of the, the series and today we're looking at the sort of broader theme that's dealt with in both Geralt and Jens' lives and, and some of the other characters uh, in terms of um, infertility, sterilization, and 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 sort of the yearning for family. And we are joined by um, Georgia, who is a PhD student um, studying uh, vasectomy. Yep. And if you want to introduce your work a little bit, Georgia, maybe?
3: Yeah, so I, I'm doing the history of vasectomy in Britain, and I do like interviews with old men who've had vasectomies to see what they think about their vasectomies um, amongst other things but yeah I kind of look at like fatherhood and ideas of masculinity and all that kind of stuff
1: which could not be more pertinent (laughs) yeah (laughs) just seems Um, very
2: relevant to
0: exactly yeah
2: Yeah, and at the time we're recording this we're um, just getting into the early chapters of Blood of Elves um, with the main uh, podcast, and that's sort of when Geralt starts going into dad mode, really, with with Siri. Um, so I think it's a good time to um, have a discussion of um, those sort of larger themes of sort of, yeah, parenthood and fertility.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, one of the things I noticed, like when I was preparing for this, I was making my little notes and stuff, but I kind of looked up stuff, and all I could find was stuff to do with Yen's relationship with her infertility primarily relating to the show, obviously because they really focused on that um but I thought it was quite interesting that there's very little you know like there were opinion pieces and stuff like that about yen and her infertility, but there wasn't really anything about the fact that girl was also forcibly sterilized as a child so
1: yeah like it's i think it's it's difficult they're very different perspectives aren't they really because- especially in the t v show the way it's um portrayed is it's very visceral and uncertainly done as in they literally cut it out of Mm -hmm. Yen whereas with Geralt obviously he is chemically castrated um, and it's as part of him becoming a superhuman as opposed to immortalizing you know him being youthful and beautiful forever Um, which is as as it's you know why they do it to Yen Mm
2: We should probably just be a little bit careful with um our terminology, um, because Geralt is far from castrated. Oh, yes, um, of course. Sorry. Is... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like like I like all uh, having almost superhuman sexual virility. Uh, um yes, just not
1: <laughs> He is chemically <laughs> yeah. sterilized. Um also
0: for yes. for what it's worth, um in both um uh the cases and the books. Um it's treated more as a side effect of yeah the particular mm-hmm. mutations they undergo but i think that's precisely interesting like that you know um it, the show actually goes out of its way to depict Yen's um like particular suffering as you know like part of
2: I have something um to, that I've been wanting to talk about about this, but we haven't been able to because it's like a spoiler for Lady of the Lake, um, because there is something that Lauren did draw on to produce that right. One of the interstitial bits in Lady of the Lake, yeah. is an excerpt from Tisseea's diary or Tisseea's yeah diary, where she's talking about how she thinks, um, she talks about how the vast majority of magic users and we're assumed Yen is one of these um becomes sterile because of the mutations that occur in your body from using magic however um sorceresses are less likely than sorcerers to have this happen to them and how she thinks that all sorceresses should be sterilized mm-hmm. so that they will be committed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there is something that lauren was drawing from there yeah, yeah. Uh, but we don't actually know what Yen's
3: case was
0: yeah yeah it's true um
3: I thought that was quite interesting as well because in the show they portray it as basically she's choosing this in order to be beautiful and get over her like to um her disabilities and disfigurement like for them to be changed. Whereas in the books, it's much more like this is a byproduct of you using magic, so it's not necessarily a choice so much as like well, if you're gonna do this thing, like this is what happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like and that that's kind of um what I th- thought was interesting, as I say in the the TV series because they do kind of go for depicting um yen sterilization as a a very visceral deliberate like quite you know like painful act um, while Geralt's um sterility is kind of just acknowledged as a thing that happened you know like 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 but but not you know like it, it's it's sort of just exact exactly how there are fewer think pieces on um what geralt's sterility means to him but like the it's it also feels less dominant than jen's so to speak. i think
1: something to remember is That we haven't seen the trial of the grasses yet, and the context of how we see Yen getting, you know, sterilised, such as it is, was done very deliberately in a very visceral and unpleasant. And you know, we had Fiona on talking about it in juxtaposition to someone literally going from a monster to a human, and it was you know very unpleasant and visceral in many many ways. And we won't know how Geralt's sterility is really addressed. Until we see what happens in the trial of the grasses, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. worth remembering as well.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and rumor has it that that's what we're getting in season two, so
3: mm-hmm. should be interesting. And there's also the fact that like a lot of his changes aren't fully addressed. Like, um, I was re-listening to some of your more recent episodes because you talk about like the pro-choice stuff and everything, but you were talking about the whole like not knowing when he gets cat eyes or like when it's acknowledged that he has the cat eyes and stuff like that um and it's that kind of thing mm-hmm. where actually a lot of girls changes and the things that make him different from human men like aren't really it's not like we get a full list of what happened and when it happened and like obviously yeah. we know it's the trial of the grasses but like we don't know specifically what happened to him to do those things
2: yeah it's um something that isn't explored very thoroughly and it is interesting because um as as you say it's um and as we noted in the other episodes um that it's almost like through the short stories like sapex still making up his mind about what traits witchers have or don't have so it's like he got built as a character sort of piecemeal through short stories that were published sort of one at a time um and it seemed like it wasn't until sort of sort of Dest- partway through sort of destiny that it was settled on that. Oh, actually, um, not just good vision at night, but in fact, mutated cat eyes and that sort of thing. So it almost even his traits were like not set in stone from like the, the earlier stories.
3: Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Um, but I think it's also interesting because uh, like one of the reasons th- I mean, that I'm doing my research and stuff is that men's fertility and infertility isn't spoken about as much as women's um. so I found it quite funny when I was going looking for like think pieces and opinion pieces and stuff um that I was like oh yeah of course the ends is spoken about more partially because it's more graphic and stuff but also because that's pretty standard like (laughs) even in real life um for it not to be considered what relationship men would have with being infertile either by choice or involuntary
1: I think one of the most memorable pieces of writing I read in a while uh, from a man about this issue was, I think, um, what's his name? The guy who wrote Hings, what's his name?
2: Oh, Chris McQueer. Chris
1: McQueer, yeah, when he wrote that thing about being a Jaffa. That's one of the only, you know, you like a Jaffa orange got no seeds, like an Mm -hmm. an older man had said to him (laughs) when he was in this thing. And that's the only time I've seen a man write an address about infertility in any way. In mm-hmm. popular culture, like um, what's you know impotence and stuff like that? That's everywhere because you know they, you have medications, you have Viagra, stuff like that. And then if you watch American streams of sports and things like that, as well as meat, Viagra is the second most, you know, advertised sort of thing you'll see on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's everywhere, but the actual lack of fertility side of things is very rarely addressed. I guess there's all sorts of reasons you can go into as to why that is, you know, building into heteronormativity and patriarchy and men must be virile and blah, blah, blah. But I think that's an interesting thing to note, is that you just don't see discussion of it for all sorts of reasons.
3: Yeah, and I think there's also, like, the assumption, I guess, probably in writing and also kind of in society, where women are going to care more about whether they can have children or not because children are the woman's sphere and you know that kind of thing and it's like it's more of a big deal for a woman not to become a mother supposedly than it is for a man not to be able to become a father and i think that's what you see then with like yen constantly rass- uh, like wrestling with her infertility and trying to you know come up with all these different ways to fix it whereas girl is kind of like eh, i mean we've got siri like <laughs> <Very pragmatic. laughs> yeah he's like you know he kind of like he has these moments of being very like very kind of fatherly and stuff um, towards different characters and taking that kind of role but you never see him saying like oh well I'm really disappointed that this happened and I would have loved to have kids or anything like that Um, whereas mm-hmm. you get Yen very openly saying that that's what she wanted
1: yeah
0: Yeah, I I I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, like although obviously as we later find out from like him being actually not the world's worst dad, um, like that he clearly (laughs) wanted a family, but like he never explicitly says that in the way that Yen does all the time.
3: Yeah, like I was rereading Hmm. one of the bits, um God, I can't even remember where it is. I I think it was in Time of Time of Contempt. Um but it was Yen talking about her dream that they, um, she and Geralt would have horses and sheep and then go and visit Siri and her kids and her husband um, and like Yen has this whole thing that she tells Geralt and Geralt basically goes, sorry, <laughs> like that's his response to it is just sorry. And it's obviously not clear whether he's saying well yeah we're not going to settle down and have horses and sheep or whether it's like yeah no. Like that's not my dream or whatever. But he has a very like emotionally closed off response to her kind of putting all her cards on the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And indeed yeah. that's like that's like a thing with Geralt in general. Um I'm I suddenly just remember that scene from the T V series where um Yen asks him if he's ever dreamed of being anything else other anything other than the Witcher. And he basically just gives something of a non-answer of, you know, if I ever wanted to be something else, um it's I've I've long forgotten it, it's a loss now, something along those lines. Um
3: yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think it's hard to say how much of it is him being like stoic and pragmatic and just being like, Well, this isn't the case, so why would I kind of imagine it and waste time chasing it and how much is like that he actually does have feelings around it, but doesn't express them because he's macho man and men don't have feelings or whatever nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: witchers don't have feelings. Yeah. Because witchers are, of course, just like the trauma of masculinity boiled down into like one cast of characters. Exactly. Yeah. Toxic
3: masculinity incarnate.
1: And
2: that,
3: that's the thing that's
1: so interesting about one of the many things that's so interesting about The Witcher is whether it's intentional or not, whether Sapik knows what he's doing, whether he's actually aware of his profound insight into the nature of dysfunctional masculinity, or whether he is genuinely just doing a Conan bit and is kind of exploring lots of fun ideas and concepts
3: Yeah, I mean, so there's bits where I feel like you do see a little bit of that kind of internal um, stuff, so there's a bit where on let me see which book it was in because i was looking through them all and now i'm very confused as to what book everything was in (laughs) um but there's i
2: actually just found the line about the horses and sheep and what's interesting is actually it's implied that yen is reading his mind and that this is what he's thinking about Mm -hmm. so it says it says a house yennefer said suddenly what house he said something about building a house for siri and then yennefer says what house You have a house. You wish to build a house, and then um, he was silent. He was angry with himself, thinking to thinking to her had inadvertently allowed her to read the thoughts he had harbored. A beautiful dream. A house. A house built with your own hands. And a house for you and me. We would raise horses and sheep, and I would take care of the garden. And he's like apologizing for having had these thoughts that she's read.
3: Yeah, and I think it's that kind of emotional thing of like he does have these things going on, Mm -hmm. but he's meant to be this like he's meant to be you know emotionally detached from everything and
2: and he can't communicate these things and he feels guilty that Jens read the thoughts that he's having.
3: Exactly (laughs) um but yeah so there's a bit in um Baptism of Fire I think where um so they're traveling with Milva from the Dryads I think or something um Mm -hmm. and she's pregnant and Mm -hmm. um Geralt gets like really protective of her (laughs) Um, and like they're travelling and he secretly helps change the route that they're travelling along without telling her because it would be too treacherous for her or whatever and actually they end up walking straight into an ambush and then she has a miscarriage and stuff so like it's not great but he does this kind of whole like um I think there's one of the others no so Geralt says suddenly we all have to assume the role of husbands and fathers um of all the men in the group that basically they have this pregnant woman with them, so they need to be there for her. And he gets like super protective of her.
2: Oh, it's interesting about Baptism of Fire as a whole, actually, is I think like that's the book where like Geralt's yearning for family becomes so clear and so evident. Like obviously he's got like a a close and protective and fatherly relationship to Ciri. but that also has like all of the other complicated things, like the the, the fact that she's his child of surprise and uh, and being bound together by destiny. But when you see Geralt with sort of with the Hanza, it he's just he has a hard time accepting it because he's going through a lot of trauma and baptism of fire. But after sort of Regis gives him that, that talking to about how he how he has to accept that he needs people, um, there's just so much of his his yearning for family there. Yeah, because yeah. I think that's something about Geralt.
0: I I was honestly just going to say, and yeah, like the Hansekai deserve the purpose of being his surrogate family for all intents and purposes, through that mm-hmm. journey.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something about Geralt and Yen that we need to to, to remember as well, is Yen has this, this need to have a, a biological child. Um, and Geralt clearly has a yearning for family, but it's not just that they, they want to have Children is that neither of them, from what we understand, really have parents either. So they are like multi-generationally like removed from the concept of family. Mm-hmm. I think so. Like Geralt has, for him, he's got the, the other Witchers are his brothers, and, and Vesemir is like his father, but he he only knows of his mother as this druidess who who gave him up for unknown reasons, and um, we don't really get a lot about Yen's family background but it doesn't seem to be great.
3: Yeah, so there's I think there is a little bit in one of the books where she's having there's like a little flashback or something to her family, I think. Um and her dad, I believe, basically says that she's disabled and disfigured um because her mom had previously had an abortion. Oh. Um I'm trying to find the quote cuz I did write it out cuz I was like that's really interesting i think it's like it doesn't explicitly say that it's talking about yen but it's like right after she's doing something or something like that um the in the tower of swallows um actually i put down a phrase that you can control f because i literally thought the exact same thing so degenerate belly is a phrase that his uh, her dad uses um but yeah, so he says that um, her mum's elf blood and her womb are spoiled. Yeah, so I found it. Um, so it is. Yeah, so it's when she's at the um temple for the Great Mother on the Skelligot Isles. Um, mm-hmm. and she has like these weird dreams or flashbacks or something. I don't know. It's in italics. Um. But yeah, so her dad says, take this hunchback monster away from me. I do not want to see it. And then her mom says, this is your daughter, just like mine. And then her dad says a little bit later, there were sorceresses in your elven family. You aborted your first pregnancy. It follows that your elf blood and womb are spoiled women. Why do you bring this monster into the world?
2: Oh, gosh, I totally missed that her mother had previously had an abortion. Yeah, that is... um layers yeah exactly
3: so so her dad's blaming it not only on like the magic and stuff but also on her mother having had an abortion and refers to her degenerate belly and all this kind of stuff so you get this really like obviously really negative father role there um Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah gosh
2: yeah i'd remembered about her being like rejected for a disability and her father having a a a thing about her elf blood but gosh I totally missed that about her mother having had uh, an abortion with her first pregnancy um and him blaming that her disability on that that is um
3: <laughs> it's pretty yikes mm.
2: yeah also I think that's something interesting speaking of male fertility she's when she says um th- you know this is this is your daughter just like mine and um she he says um the children i have fathered are normal and then blames her elf blood and is this is, is this to say that he's got a lot of children with other women
3: yeah it's kind <laughs> of implied yeah
2: yeah
1: what yeah. messed up families in the in, the lore. in this fucking series yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah yeah and this is a thing as well so um either infertility or like issues with pregnancies you know like losing pregnancies and stuff like that is almost always blamed on women first and certainly like mm. um even until relatively recently and i'm sure it still goes on but there was quite often if couples went for like fertility like therapy or counseling or whatever women were told to just say that it was their problem even if it wasn't um so that their husband wouldn't have to deal with the shame or the stigma because it was seen as like more psychologically damaging. But it was like the idea that if anything goes wrong, it must be the woman's fault because otherwise, um, the man would have to admit that his genes or his sperm or whatever aren't as healthy and strong as he wants them to be.
1: My, my sound cut up for like ten seconds. Oh,
3: David Meggs know
2: why I'm whimpering
1: here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> I got. Uh, I got a little personal experience with this. Uh, I didn't find out until I, until last February, uh, so just about a year ago that I'm actually donor conceived. Oh. Um, yeah. And, um, I knew that my parents had had fertility problems, but they made it sound like it was my mother's problem and that what they'd done was gone to the fertility clinic and got like all of the hormones and progesterone and like Mm -hmm. all of that stuff but it wasn't her problem and
3: I'm donor conceived. Yeah, so this is a really common thing and there's actually there's another podcast that I listened to that was like an investigation into a clinic in the Netherlands um that basically is um the doctor, the fertility doctor um was using his own samples to uh yeah. Assist.
2: The clinic I was conceived at had a lawsuit over that too.
3: Yeah. So um this is like the biggest case of it or something. It's I think it's like over a hundred children so far have been tracked down to this one guy. But a lot of it um a lot of the kids didn't either didn't know that they were donor conceived at all or had been told that it was their father's sperm but that it had been using like IVF and stuff like that. Um yeah, that's what we were told. Yeah, exactly. Um so and a lot of the fathers thought that too they had been told that it was using their samples um and not this doctor who apparently just decided to use his own samples for everything um yeah so that's what happened at the clinic i was conceived
2: at yeah um apparently i i fortunately i'm not one of them but there was something like 30 or 40 yeah kids
3: and there's just like such interesting things there about like, first of all, that people don't talk about it openly. So people don't know. So like a lot of these kids said, I mean, they're all adults now, but like the donor conceived children all said, you know, oh, yeah, I saw it on the news, but I didn't think anything of it until my mum saw it on the news and then phoned me up and said, um, I think you need to do a DNA test
0: it's like
3: jesus (laughs) yeah so not only are they finding out that you know their father isn't their biological father and stuff but they're also finding this out in the process um but i think it's like a really common thing that it's just like glossed over that you know men could have any sort of infertility issues or um i read a really good book recently um it's like uh sociological kind of investigation into men's understanding of their health impact on the health of or like on pregnancy outcomes so it can be like on the health of the fetus and stuff like that so older
2: (laughs) do you want to name drop the book? yes sorry
3: it's called gynecology (laughs) but the guy is like guy as in men
2: Uh, it's great (laughs) that's that's clever actually actually.
3: (laughs) it's really good Um, I I reviewed it for like a, a journal and I really enjoyed it but there's like loads of things in it, so, um, you know the way we know that like older women getting pregnant has like higher risks of like Down syndrome or stuff like that, and that's like widely accepted now. So older fathers, um, have like really strong links to things like schizophrenia and to certain genetic problems and stuff like that. And men do not know this, like at all, basically.
1: <laughs> no, it's not something I've heard of so
3: yeah so it was like really i can't remember all the stats and stuff but you know like really significant links to different health outcomes or to different you know potential issues and stuff especially around mental health and psychological disorders and stuff like that um but it's basically only started being researched in the last i don't know like decade or 20 years or something like that and she does this whole in like she does loads of interviews with like loads of guys about whether they've ever thought about how their lifestyle because there's also things like um men who are drug users or have like a lot of alcohol use and stuff like that it actually affects then the health of their sperm and (laughs) the genes and stuff like I don't know I don't know all the science I'm not a biologist I'm a historian but it has like huge impacts on it um, in terms of lifestyle impacts upon the outcomes of their children and obviously like all these guys were like no I've never heard of this um, because we don't talk about that we talk wife. about you know women drinking coffee when they're pregnant and women getting yeah exactly or like there's women who've been fined or like threatened with jail for having cigarettes while pregnant but
2: this is actually um, part of my field of research because I do youth and juvenile justice, but I've also kind of segued into sort of like the general um, health sort of concerns that get related to, to criminal justice mm-hmm. um, because of that. And um, it's actually like a major vector of the criminalization of women in the United States that women um, women opiate users um, or Christ. opioid users um, can basically be, be imprisoned for, for being pregnant using opioids.
3: Yep whereas Jesus. obviously there's no equivalent for oh well we don't imprison men for having sex when they're old because it's going to have a higher risk of you know things going wrong or whatever Um, but no it's just it was really interesting it's like the first book that's kind of come out looking at these risks kind of as a whole Um, but yeah it's just like this, the figures and the links and stuff were absolutely stunning compared to wonder, like I knew um, nothing about it and I study well, like male fertility I guess it's just been and everything. Going <laughs> sheer conjecture
1: out there being a tube, but like there is some evidence of like you know acquired trauma being passed down through families and whether you know if you live to a certain <laughs> age, you're at uh, an increased probability of having acquired some level of this as well. Now it's probably going to be a small amount, but I do wonder if it's also might be a
3: factor yeah i mean that's like the epigenetics kind of thing of like i know that they've shown that um holocaust Mm. survivors grandchildren have genetic markers essentially of trauma um but yeah i mean that would kind of make sense Mm. i think it's part of the same thing because it's to do with the little bits on the end of the dna i think and how they're shaped and they tend to degrade as you get older which is part of the reason it can cause then like issues or abnormalities and stuff Mm. if either part like if either the sperm or the egg has these kind of degraded ends so i think it probably is the same thing um but yeah it's i think it's just interesting to consider it in terms of like i mean first of all jan's father blaming her mom for it it's like well no actually it could be you because if you had all those other kids when you were younger then maybe it's actually that you're just too old to be having children um, and yeah just kind of the wider thing of like well we're only going to talk about women and their relationship with fertility and their children and everything even actually when i was doing keyword searches for most of the books if i searched mother it came up with, like, over 100 results. And if I searched father, it would came, come up with, like, four.
0: And indeed, um, actually, <laughs> yeah. if you remember, um, at the very end, um, when Siri reunites with Geralt and Yennefer at that castle in Nazare, um she calls Yennefer mum, but she continues to call Geralt, Geralt.
3: Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: Like, which I always, by the and way, found kind of mean- weird. Like, like I mean, like, in the sense of, like, um, when I was reading it for the first time, I was just like, "These are both your foster parents. Why are you? Why are you like <laughs> acting like he's not fair? as much your dad that as she's your mum?" That not like... weird
1: because I still sometimes call my dad by his name, um, or like derivatives of it thereof. Whereas I've never done that with my mum for some reason. I don't know why that is. It's just something I've always done. Um.
3: That's also kind of weird. <laughs>
0: Well,
2: maybe you're just Did weird you in the say, same way as Siri. Uh, yeah, I think
0: I think I think
2: Max understands Siri because you're weird in the same way. Like yeah. both like both my
0: parents
1: are still together and are both my biological parents as far as I know. But like yeah, that's is then strike me as weird.
3: And they didn't uh, die in a mysterious <laughs> storm that may or may not have happened and <laughs> child of the elder
1: blood. Minus.
3: You weren't raised by your grandmother who's also a monarch. Just to be clear, oh my
2: God, Megs,
3: I you have, have the gift of prophecy. Oh, you things you I have of the Elder last year. <laughs> You've got very specific predictive right, powers. Us on
2: Twitter, Megs had the date of like pubs reopening and the vaccine like pretty much spot on. From it was like, within like, a week, wasn't it? Quite
3: impressive.
1: I have another one for when um, the Coronavirus Act will expire but i'm not making that one public again because i made it in a thread and if it's wrong then i'll delete it but if it's right then i'll share it again
3: (laughs) oh so this is what you're doing you actually make predictions like every day and you just delete all the ones that don't come true Ah, very clever pretty sure i watched a Darren brown that did that
1: um but yeah, that maybe that is just me being weird from a weird upbringing. That I thought, oh, that's a natural thing to do. Why wouldn't you just call your dad by a you know what's the term a term of endearment?
3: Yeah, mm. I mean,
2: I mean, she does also take the name Siri of Vengerberg, not of Rivia.
3: Yeah, especially because it's like mm-hmm. I mean, she's not Yennefer's child of surprise.
2: Yeah, it's a bit rude, really.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, like Geralt, child of surprise, her what twice, and yeah. like surely I don't know, and she's all like, oh, don't leave her me, and brought her back. To yeah, Kermarin. she's always like, oh, let me come with you, don't leave me, and all this stuff, and then she's like, well, actually, I want Yen's surname, and I'm gonna call her mum, but you're also just Geralt. <laughs>
2: I I thought it might be interesting to maybe talk a little bit about like your research on voluntary like voluntary vasectomies because I think it's really interesting that um obviously what happened to Geralt was totally involuntary and he clearly has this like longing for children and family um but show Geralt seems to at least like have rationalized this to himself um in the in the show when Yennefer is sort of like you know in the episode 6 when Yennefer is sort of talking about wanting the dragon heart for um, to cure her infertility and Geralt saying it doesn't work in any way like the people who made us made us sterile for a reason. You know, can you imagine bringing a child into this life? I'd rather use my child surprise as Brooks of Hate than 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 make it you know live this life.
3: hmm Yeah, so I think there is this kind of thing and I think that comes into why Geralt also like in the books I think it's quite similar where it's like he has a bit of kind of nostalgia or longing for like a family life. But at the same time that's not his lifestyle like he isn't you know like he could just buy a house somewhere and get a dog or something if he was wanting to like settle down but he's not doing that he's still kind of traveling around the place and like saving the world accidentally or getting in the way of things (laughs) and stuff so i think he does have this more practical kind of outlook on it and i don't know i think that's probably like his way of coping as much as anything where I think Yen kind of is still fighting it and everything like that but yeah it's, it's interesting like most of my research is men who've already had children and then decide to have a vasectomy yeah, enough, so that they don't so have more say. children mm-hmm. yeah exactly but it's definitely a growing thing where you know young men are getting vasectomies before they've ever had children because they know that they don't want them and it's just easier um and part of that is like, yeah, knowing that you have a lifestyle that you don't want to have a child in or um, people who kind of enjoy the freedom or whatever. And I think Geralt kind of has a bit of that where he like, although he um, he's always like grumpy about it, he does kind of like his lifestyle. You know, I think like he he enjoys it and stuff. Um, he could just not do those things.
2: It is true that he apparently left Yen because she got quote unquote clingy and he can't stand staying in a city.
3: Exactly. Like, he gets this kind of, um, you know, itchy feet or whatever and feels the need to, like, you know, when they are settling down and everything, he's like, no, 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 no. I still want to be, like, wild and free and go and slay monsters and save the world. Well, that's or... the thing.
1: like, we've, we've mentioned it on this before is the fact like Geralt's in a unique position in such a world where. He's infertile and he's immune from disease, so he's just, like, he's a free ride <laughs> for, mm-hmm. you know, f- for people normally <laughs> <be more than laughs> at risk of pregnancy from any single, well, you know, without egregious costs to a mage or whatever. He is uh, literally a free ride.
0: And he does seem to be enjoying mm-hmm. that aspect of, 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 you know, Yeah, why wouldn't he, kind of? So.
2: Yeah, he definitely doesn't say no, when Shawnee is is clearly. I mean, okay, we, we I don't want to like bring up the like thing about Shawnee being seventeen, but like Shawnee's interest in him is entirely like, I am a medical student, and you are an interesting <laughs> specimen. And he just does, he doesn't seem to have a problem with this. Yeah, like he definitely makes she use of his.
3: Yeah.
0: Like- there's there's some medical ethics questions there. Like I don't think that's a good method of research.
3: I mean, I feel like maybe the medical ethics plus her age kinda cancel each other out. Like I don't I don't know how ethics work.
1: The opposite.
3: <laughs> but yeah Yeah, exactly. It's fine. Um but I think no, there definitely is something about the fact because also I know you've spoken before, but uh, Yen and Geralt kind of having this like open relationship-ish um, where, you know, they go off with other people at different times and they're both aware of this. And I kind of wonder how much of the kind of casualness around that is also knowing that they're both safe from, you know, like Yen's not going to get pregnant if she goes off with someone else and Geralt's not going to get someone else pregnant and, you know, they're not going to give each other an STD or something like that. So I think there's kind of a lot of those <laughs> risks are not there. Um which is definitely a thing as well. Like actually one of the guys I interviewed when he and his wife went to the doctor to ask about um like sterilization and stuff the doctor said, "Oh, why like why are you getting a vasectomy instead of her getting her tubes tied?" It's like, "Well, first of all, a vasectomy is a much less invasive procedure, so like that's why. But also, he said, um the husband said, "Well, I'm probably much more likely to wander than she is." <laughs> and that was kind of just taken as like oh a normal thing <laughs> and he was just like well yeah like you know I'm more likely to cheat and it makes more sense for me to have less risk <laughs> I was like oh my god why are you thinking this is like a normal reason to <laughs> make medical decisions I was going to say as well so part of my research like I also look at the involuntary sterilizations around like eugenics and stuff but there's like a heck of a lot of eugenics in this series
2: <laughs> yes oh yeah let's talk actually since you do eugenics stuff let's make this like a kind of a twofer and let's talk about how weird this fantasy series that is obsessed with genetics
3: <laughs> yeah it's very strange to literally read stuff about <laughs> genetics in a fantasy series i'm not used to that i'm used to it being like you know, them talking about the seed or the bloodline or whatever whereas they literally <laughs> use the words genetics at times and I'm like okay, so you apparently have like <laughs> DNA research <laughs> but
2: um, they do, they use a lot of modern, modern, modern the
3: amount medical words.
0: Of, like, of, of the fucking mages that they've got, I mean it's not even that surprising that they've actually done actual science
3: well, yeah, true, mm-hmm. and there's the whole thing that like science that you don't understand is just magic um so but yeah it's the when they're talking about i think lara doran um is that her name whatever Mm -hmm. her name is yeah lara doran um avala like says that her genetics are the result of generations of effort and basically they've been selectively breeding to get to her and then she goes off and like falls in love with a human and they're like oh all this effort is wasted um her genes are going to be fuck basically because like um, they're gonna get uh, I don't know contaminated by the human but it's like really weird to me that they are doing like genetic kind of eugenic processes of selective breeding of uh, sentient beings
2: yeah and of course they did that again to try to reconstruct the Dora gene from like it having been dispersed into humanity which is kind of how they end up at siri Mm
3: -hmm. exactly
2: and and then of course um both the 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 mages and the the inel i guess are trying to to manipulate siri to to produce like an air that will have the right genes
3: yeah and there's this kind of yeah it's there's the debate over whether it's Siri who's like the chosen one or whether it's her child that's the chosen one kind of comes up a few times mm-hmm. I think as well and it's this thing of like well we must make her have children with the right people and everything um, yeah
2: because I think the idea is that Siri can move herself between worlds but her child's supposed to be able to open portals between worlds or mm-hmm.
3: something exactly mm-hmm. Um, but I find that really interesting and like with um I think also with the, it was with the dragons, the dragon people, um, you know, they're talking about the issue that they are not having enough children, um, and that, like, they need to figure out how to have more children and everything, um, but one of them says fertility is what's needed for development, survival, and domination.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And that's in the same story, I think, where Yen has her very weird thing that she says about dragons are the real enemy of humanity because they're the only thing that can attack a city and humans need to live in cities for for (laughs) the rate of one baby per year. Yeah, which is a
3: (laughs) a very interesting argument. yeah
0: there's there's yes. something eugenic-y in that argument that still rubs me extremely wrong oh definitely like, yeah like 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 it's well, it's like... a bit it's a bit living spacey um like, yeah
2: it, it is a little bit huh <laughs> i mean actually the elves infertility fertility that comes up as well mm-hmm. right because elves while they live a very long time are only fertile basically for the normal years humans are yeah so
3: they can only have like children that? um when they're very young Which is the same as guinea pigs. Fun fact: We are are Um, actual guinea (laughs) (laughs) pigs. Guinea pigs can only reproduce for like the first six months of their lives, but can live for like ten years. So um, that's amazing. Yeah, it's literally once they get old enough that their bones are like fused together as adults, their pelvis bones are too small to give birth. I, they they are the least evolutionary. uh They are like proof that there is no god. <laughs> like, intelligent design does not work when it comes it's to guinea pigs. I have mess. so many facts about them. But anyway, yeah, exactly. um But basically,
2: I love your guinea
3: pigs. By the way, the, way, the, way the one eats its little corns. They they are a lot. They're great. But I basically think that elves are the <laughs> guinea pigs of this world, at least when it comes to reproduction and possibly just general evolutionary advantage or disadvantage. <laughs>
2: um, yes, because elves can only have have children when they're they're in like the normal same years that humans can. But elves live obviously like hundreds and hundreds of years, um, and um, this becomes a problem for um, for the scuotile, right? Mm-hmm. That um, the elves are like fighting this war against the humans, but it's like the young, healthy elves that are going to fight, and but they're the ones who are dying. So there might be elves left. There are not elves who can actually reproduce. There's a lot of like humans outbreeding elves, and like there's like a lot of a lot about like reproductive capacity. There really
3: is and, like and
2: reproductive for rate For a kind he of he's an economist.
3: Well, yeah, but like for a fantasy <laughs> series. Like there's a heck of a lot about kind of reproductive choice or lack of it, and um, there's also stuff about like I know the um, forts at one stage they say like oh yeah he's experimenting oh, on embryos and pregnant women and you know like all that kind of stuff like he's doing all his weird stuff, um yeah. so like they're just messing with I... like fetuses all over the place. Mm-hmm.
2: What I will say is really interesting, and it's actually like for me like one of the like central. Um, things of this the series and like a central point that Sapek seems to be trying to make is like pretty early on he's got that really like pro-choice like statement from mm-hmm. Geralt and Calanthe and then throughout the series like your ultimate evil is Vilgefort's this guy who sees women just as vessels for his purposes mm-hmm. um, and then like the real like existential victory of the series is Siri saying no fuck this i'm just going to do what i want
3: yeah
2: i don't care what my destiny is i don't care if i have some like rare gene no
3: exactly so you get quite a lot of this very overt like um yeah women being empowered to make their own choice and actually the bit that i mentioned earlier where um they're traveling with milva in baptism of fire um so when she finds out she's or she knows that she's pregnant but um i think it's what's his name the regis um comes to the guys and basically says okay so she's pregnant she's asked me to give her an abortion what do y'all think and um kahir uh, steps up and is basically like I don't think we should have a say in this in Nilfgaard we don't we wouldn't have a say in this like women just make their own decision and they're kind of having this weird vote on like whether or not she should be allowed to have an abortion and then they're kind of like okay well since we think it's her choice if she asks again then you can give it to her and it's like okay interesting way to deal with this
2: what's interesting about the case with Melba is it seemed like she didn't really want to have an abortion like it's just that like she felt like that was the thing she had to do because they're was no father and she was part of this mission. Yeah and
3: then there's actually a bit where um, I think Gerald is talking to her about it, and kind of almost talking her out of it but like trying to suss out what's going on I think and he says you wanted to help save someone else's child you wanted to pay so it's like this kind of um, that she's paying for a child with a child so she's helping save Siri by like aborting her fetus or something I don't know but basically he's kind of like no that's bullshit <laughs> that's some weird logic and then she kind of keeps it but then she has a miscarriage anyway so
2: the genetics thing is like I think part of like a lot of scientific language that gets used in the series on the whole like the chapter we just we just did um, an episode on um, Triss is talking to the witcher or talking about the witchers and she's getting annoyed that they've kept their like um, their grasses and herbs and mushrooms to themselves that would um, that they use to make themselves disease resistant like the wording she uses about this is like oh like what the things that we could have done with this we could have cured leukemia (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's like what you're used to hearing as a disease in a medieval fantasy exactly you get like you
3: know sickness of the blood or something like that you don't get like the actual (laughs) scientific name usually
2: I I like that. I
1: like it that it's simultaneously a medieval setting, but they have kind of really, like, progressive knowledge of like medicine and stuff. It's the juxtaposition is is pretty fun. I think.
3: Definitely,
2: yeah. I really like it too. I think it's really interesting that like, does anybody feel like magic is just kind of like radiation in this
3: (laughs) setting? (laughs) To be honest, especially with the fertility, yeah.
2: Yeah, it causes mutations and infertility. Like, that's the thing they mostly do with magic is a lot of
3: mutations. <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> like, the magic users get, they, they refer to, like, what happens to them as, like, as, like the, the, the atrophying of the reproductive organs. They refer to that kind of as, like, as a result of mutations. Witchers get mutated. Um, all of Season of Storms is about, like, the mutations that, like, mutation magic that, like, gets done that is terrible. Um, yep. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that's what's going on in um, Road with No Return with the 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 Kashi. That's like a weird mutated spider. Mm-hmm.
3: And also like the tools <laughs> that, especially like Yen is trying to gather different tools to you know use for different magic machines. And it seems like mm-hmm. it's basically just like amplifying the radiation to point it at one spot instead of like all over. <laughs> like the communication stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, like, obviously it does things that aren't, aren't, like, radiation-y, like, obviously they do all sorts of things, like, just, like, light fires and conjure up birds and, and that sort of thing. Like, there, it's clearly magic, but, like, it seems like there's, like, a clear, like, influence of, like, the idea of radiation in the mind of, of Sapek when he's, like, coming up with, like, what magic does to people. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I just found another bit of the weird kind of scientific stuff. So it's Geralt talking to Nanake or whatever her name is, um, and... Uh, he's asking her about like well sure you know sorcerers raise the dead so why can't you make Yen fertile again Um, and she says uh, I don't know of one single proven fully successful case of reversing atrophy or regenerating endocrine glands <laughs> that's like pretty intense medical speak <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of
2: course it makes sense from Neneke because she's like the world's most gifted healer but like also like Within a fantasy setting, like again, usually you don't get that kind of like glance. Yeah,
3: and it's not like Geralt yeah. is like, "What are you talking about?" Like he's just like, "Oh, he's to okay. be like, oh yeah, sure, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know what those are." Yes. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I think just like taking it back to like the idea of like I don't know, like family and 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 fatherhood, we get like such a short time. Um, with the other witchers, right? We get like th- three chapters with mm-hmm. them, maybe at the start of Blood of Elves and then we kind of rarely see them again We talked a little bit in an episode we haven't released yet about how when Triss arrives there where the, they're all raising Ciri and doing the best they can and Triss tries to like lay down the law about like needing like a woman's touch to raise a girl and yada yada mm-hmm. yada Um, but like actually it's just like every scene that Siri is in with the witchers is so sweet and like so caring and like they're just like these like it seem there's something that Triss remarks in the, the next chapter in chapter 3 of Blood of Elves um and Siri is like sitting and playing some hand slapping game on the on the ground with with Coen and she hears Cohen laugh and says you know that's the first time she could recall ever hearing a witcher laugh in all of her years of knowing them <laughs> And it, it's just like, it's something that's clearly, I think, missing from, from all of them, sort of the presence of, of children. And they've, of course, there's a larger level on which individually, the individual witchers are all sterilized by the mutations that they go through, um, as children. But then there's something to be said for the sack of caramorin also resulting in the inability like the the way they could carry on and and quote unquote have children is that of course that all the, the the orphans and strays and whatever that find their way towards being witchers um would be you know they they're basically like adopted into their to their family even if it only one in ten of them survives but then with the sack of caremorin and the loss of the magical knowledge needed for um loss of the magical knowledge needed to to, to create new witchers they've also been sort of removed the the reproductive capacity in that way as well yeah
3: you get this whole um idea of like a culture on decline as well as just the individual kind of family lines or whatever and i think it's also Mm -hmm. like so i mean one of the one of the uh, methods or definitions of genocide is like to sterilize a group or to take their children away from them so that they can't pass on their culture um and it's kind of weird with the witchers because it's like well you know they're taking children into their their group and putting them through (laughs) this kind of torturous trial and everything like that but at the same time they are then also by individually not being able to reproduce and also by not having the kind of cultural knowledge to reproduce their culture their culture is disappearing and you get this kind of I guess to some extent marginalized like group being wiped out by these different kind of methods but some of them are self-inflicted like you know they are making themselves sterile as they or like as a culture they're kind of enforcing sterility through uh, sterilising all the kids that come in
1: yeah the thing (laughs) which makes them also prevents them from sustaining themselves Um, I suppose it's kind of like vampirism the fact that by them making another vampire they kind of reduced the net capacity of them to exist as a thing because if they made all humans vampires they'd all starve and die and cease to exist (laughs) like outside of obviously witcher lore that's not how vampires reproduce we don't know how vampires reproduce Um, yeah but like yeah yeah
3: I think it's there is like there's a lot about this idea of I guess like we said about the different races you know the owls and the dragons and stuff having their struggles with Uh, keeping their population numbers up or whatever then you also have like the witchers are dying out and you kind of get this idea that it's like the whole uh, the whole world is kind of being um, homogenized into humans uh, because they reproduce the most
2: yeah which is um, a troubling Message to say the yep. least.
1: In twenty 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 one, most certainly is.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, there are so many levels on which this is a, a oh a really thematically difficult thing to to approach. Um, I mean, yeah. I think
1: it was less of a thing when the stories were written but it most certainly yeah. it is It was now.
0: the 90s. People thought history had just ended. Everything seemed <laughs> Damn you, Fukuyama.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Although I find it really interesting as well. So I kind of had a bit of a look into the history of eugenics in Poland because I was like, well, that seems relevant. And also I'm putting off writing a chapter of my thesis. So um, <laughs> I was like reading some stuff about that because i mean obviously he's writing in poland and it's very influenced certainly like the pro-choice stuff i know that you've spoken about before is really influenced by like poland's abortion laws being so restrictive um and they've just like enacted the new restrictive extra restrictive abortion laws this week and everything um Mm -hmm. but i think there's also something to be said for so obviously poland under the nazis had like nazi eugenics um there were also quite a lot of psychiatrists working on eugenic policies before the nazis came around um and apparently they quite often try to whitewash the history as like oh no it wasn't us it was the nazis the nazis made us do it and it's like no you guys were doing this in like the 19 early 1930s like 1932 and stuff like this this wasn't yeah. just them because like eugenics yeah. was widespread in europe um at the time it's just the nazis took it to a new and extreme America, and well canada. yes especially america and canada um uh, yeah canada had some of the world's most brutal eugenics policies yep and had them in place like pretty late 1970s i think um a lot of them yeah shout out to like erica dick's work it's pretty
2: incredible it's fantastic um i
3: got to spend two weeks with her in china last two years ago and it was the best thing ever because i was just like oh my god your work on eugenics in canada is incredible um she's amazing yeah every time i get to see her
2: at um sshm i'm just like yeah
3: (laughs) um but yeah so there's like all these kind of like eugenics is really widespread um And especially in Europe, like most of Northern and Western Europe had at least some sort of eugenic policies. Uh, Fun fact, one of the reasons that is now understood for why Britain didn't have it is not because we're so wonderful and didn't want to eugenically sterilise (laughs) people's shot car. It's because our particular brand of right-wing conservatism tends to be anti-interventionist and they thought it was too much of the government doing stuff
1: <laughs> <Accidental> <laughs> so they
3: basically were like what if we just don't do stuff and we let all these disabled people die of like not having adequate support instead
0: is that is that not just how they run policy now anyway
3: exactly uh,
1: <laughs> is that also not an argument why the, re- the u.s
3: yeah so like in the u.s it was basically more that they were more comfortable interfering with people um, well, no, I was going to say,
1: like in the US, it's why they're less transphobic than the UK is yes. because they are very sort of uh, individualistic and libertarian, and well, let you know if that's how someone wants to live, whatever. Who am I to? Exactly.
3: It's really the
1: push from the evangelical right that's more against it than it is from you know your more moderate, boring centre right person.
3: Well, yeah, and I think that's part of it, um, like transphobia being a big thing in the kind of liberal spaces, especially in Britain, where it's like, well, yeah, you can do what you want, but actually, we care about some people's rights more than others, and they kind of co-opt the like rights talk, and you know, we're allowed to infringe on your rights if you infringe on ours, but actually, you're not infringing on ours at all, but we'll still infringe on your rights, um. But yeah, it's like a big thing that basically all these other countries were just more comfortable, like their political systems were more comfortable actually doing stuff to people rather than like letting them starve or whatever, which is what Britain did. Um, So yeah, Poland had like obviously pretty strong experiences of that. And I think that that's kind of significant because I think... That definitely then informs a lot of the idea of these like genetic supremacy kind of ideas and stuff like that that you see in The Witcher because that's obviously like a huge part of certainly him growing up and, you know, knowing the horrors of what happens and the ideologies behind it and stuff like that. Definitely informs it to some extent.
2: Yeah, just the idea of setting up like the actual like the actual worst possible things in, in this world are the the people manipulating behind the scenes, like the genetics of having Siri produced, mm-hmm. and also um Vilcafortz who just sees women as as incubation vessels. These are like the two evils
3: of the series. Exactly. Um Yeah
1: <laughs> is there anything else we wish to cover that springs to mind?
3: Yeah, I did have I have one thing in my notes. Um so one of the other things I had about this idea of like women's uh children being affected by their behaviour or whatever, like the way Yen's father blamed her mom, is um the striga being because of uh incest. Oh that's a good point.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah it's interesting because they try to blame the Striga on incest, but it turns out it isn't. Yeah, ex- yeah there's maybe? an
0: in-universe different reason. Probably. Um, Like, in that, like, in that, in, in that, like, Geralt pretty, you know, authoritatively uh, says that incest doesn't result in Strigas.
3: Exactly. But then there's this whole thing that, like, I think it's Foltest says, you know, oh, well, it's because she slept with her brother and... All that stuff.
2: Well, it's because him, him being her brother. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 (laughs) Faulters specifically,
0: I remember that bit, like, basically asks Geralt if there is any truth in that rumor. And Geralt just outright says no.
2: Yeah. 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 So in the books, it's, um, it seems like it, in the books, it seems like it was, um, an accident, right? It seems like it was, um, why can't I remember his name?
1: Oh, the trader guy.
2: Um, yeah, the the yeah. Why can't I remember his name? I can't remember his name either. The guy who was obsessed with her. Yeah,
1: the, the dude who cursed her. Yeah, real ones. Know. Yeah, because
2: <laughs> um, in the books, yeah, in the books he just says like, you know, I said some words in anger, and it seems like it might have been just like the manifestation of his rage because like that is power. But in the show, it's very clearly like, oh yeah. Yeah, no, I did it. Um, I got, I got, I got a, I got a, I got a chicken, and I sacrificed it. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah, in, in in both in both the books and the the show, it's 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 like the common people would think that it was because of the incest, so they're still like blaming. So it's actually really interesting because it's the same thing with mm-hmm. Yen's father. It's blaming the woman's behavior for producing. Um, a result they didn't want from the pregnancy but actually it was something completely external to that but she still has to bear Exactly, though.
3: I think it's this idea of uh, like uh, Jan's father says the d- degenerate belly but you know this kind of like you've done something wrong so your womb is cursed and like you'll have monsters or uh, disabled children or whatever um, but it's this real kind of moralising of um, I guess in a world where they also like, common people don't know what's causing all these things, although apparently some of the people know how to do genetic manipulation. Um, But yeah, like, people are finding reasons for this, which is also, like, historically accurate, you know? People would have blamed women for having disabled children and all that kind of stuff. Um, And there's actually also a bit where they're talking about Calanthe and um, her kind of lack of future as a queen um but they basically say that she had Pavetta and then she miscarried a couple of times and couldn't have more children and basically she had issues because she couldn't have a son which I thought was really interesting cuz like they make such a hype about like the queens of Sintra and stuff and I was like oh like she was still trying to kind of have a son and yeah
2: Because um, this gets sort of in one of the later books, um, there's when when they're trying to do some research into sort of like the 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 family lines and stuff. um, We get a bit more revealed about um, Calanthe's situation in Centra, and yeah, through the early through the early series, we got like all this hype about Calanthe as being like this. The the the, the unquestioned iron fist ruler of Sintra, we find out that she had to rule such an iron fist because Sintra doesn't typically have queens regnant, and she had to kill her husband to stop him from killing her for not having had Mm -hmm. a son.
3: And they, so I I was going to say the quote from *Time of Contempt*. They, um, I didn't write down who signed this. Someone signed this, Um, but they say all her plans went down the drain. Woman's lot, great ambitions spoiled by a ruined uterus. So, yeah. it's this same thing of like the, the womb yeah. being cursed in some way. Cause it's, mm. it's ruined uterus, not just like bad luck or, you know, the fate. Cause it's such a deterministic universe that you'd think it's like, oh, well, you know, this is what has been decided. No, no, no. It's your fault for having a bad uterus. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I actually think that's a really interesting point is that like so much of this universe is super deterministic. People strongly believe in destiny. But then they're trying to blame people for things anyway. Yeah, even though... things that
3: are out of people's hands. You know, like, th- there's so many things yeah. that are within people's control that they're like, oh no, well, this is just like how destiny you wanted it. But then when it comes to things that people actually can't control, they're like, well, you must have done something wrong.
1: Well, I suppose it feeds into why yeah. they care so much about genetics, doesn't it? If the universe is super deterministic, then genetics obviously will be your destiny, won't they? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm.
0: Which is yeah. uh, again, one of those thoughts that feels That's a lot more actively problematic in twenty twenty one than it <laughs> did in the <laughs> it <90s. sure> does. <laughs>
3: yep. And also is a very like sci fi concept for fantasy. You know, like mm-hmm. there's so many sci fi's that are like, well, you know, different people are bred for different roles or whatever. But like it's like Gattaca exactly. or
2: like uh, uh, yeah World. exactly,
3: and like it's a really strong trope in sci-fi, um, but not so mm. much in fantasy. Usually, usually fantasy is just like mm. oh, like magic, babies.
2: <laughs> yeah, when you have it. Well, it's, you, this what I think is really interesting is I think he's actually putting a finer point on something that is a common fantasy trope though, which is like the last scion of a destined bloodline. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, and but he's putting. But he's putting a really fine point on it in the, like, oh, we can't just trust that, like, a thousand years after the death of the king that his last descendant will blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, we, we, the sorcerers, have to genetically engineer the last, like, (laughs) we can't wait for, like, Arwen to happen to be... Uh, fucking luthien reborn we need to <laughs> <laughs> genetically engineer a new one oh yeah my God. it kind
3: of puts into question how much of this is like deterministic when it's like well is it still deterministic if you're the ones determining it like or is it still you know oh it's in the hands of the gods while we like actively <laughs> manipulate shit. who has children with who
0: <laughs> i mean that's actually a fair question i i i, I literally didn't think about that but like can we really... I mean... <laughs> like, there's there's clearly some sort of clairvoyance going on in this series, but, like, can we really, for instance, say that, like, uh, if Lin's prophecy is a true prophecy when the entire fucking magical community of the world is manipulating people's <laughs> genes to make sure it comes true. Yeah, is it <laughs> a prophecy it or way. is it
3: like a, um, a hypothesis for a prophecy. scientific research project, it's like well we yeah. think this will happen if we manipulate genes for enough years. <laughs>
0: Oh my god! Maybe Iflan was not in fact a prophetess at all, but in fact just the first fucking elven researcher in the elder blood department.
3: Is <laughs> her prophecy actually just um you know the thesis abstract? Jesus Christ! Oh <laughs>
1: There's a challenge. Write your thesis
0: abstract in the
3: form. Oh my god! <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: oh man, I'm gonna have to think about that one. But I will definitely be creating that. See this, though. Yes, that's, that's a great challenge.
0: Listeners, listeners, if you're listening, please at us with your thesis abstract in yes. the style of Ifland's prophecy.
3: Exactly. <laughs>
1: I think that's a good note to end it on. Really. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> yes uh, so our one P- phd haver and our two phd students will go off and track <laughs> yes. to that
3: check us on twitter for <laughs> what our results are
2: yeah is there anything is there anything you want to plug georgia do you have like a publication you want people um, to read or do you want people to follow no website?
3: so I, I on twitter i'm at SNPHist as in like the history of the snip so s-n-i-p-h-i-s-t oh. Um, so people can follow me on there I guess but yeah <laughs>
1: <coughs> George is cool, follow them <laughs> thank you, yes I have yeah, guinea pigs
3: um, I post guinea pig pictures quite often so
2: I'll get the guinea pigs are so adorable <laughs> and there's so many videos yeah. of them I'm, I'm not over... Okay, the two things I'm not over are the one that I can like squish the soft bits out of the corn and also the like little tooth mark. In your shoes. Yeah,
3: so my <laughs> housemate found some more tiny teeth marks in his Doc Martens like around the top. He was like, hmm, I wonder whose these could be. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we have four tiny terrors who eat all our things. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, on that note... That's our show. Thanks so much for
2: listening. And um, we hope you'll join us again uh, next time. Our music is Medieval Abstraction by Lucas Perny and Milislav Kolar, which you can find at freemusicarchive.org. And you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as at the Witcher cast, or email us at castapodtoyourwitcher at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.